Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, we hope you enjoy today's program. Welcome once again to the Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry in Anaheim, California. Witness Lee, a co-worker with Watchman Nee in China, brought this ministry to the United States of America in 1962 and began the Life Study of the Bible in 1974. We're joined in the studio today again by Ron Kangas. Ron, welcome back to the Life Study of Romans. I say again and again, I'm always happy to be back. Ron, these have been wonderful messages, and today we're getting further into one of our favorite chapters of all time, which is chapter 8. There are so many aspects in this chapter that are very critical in our experience, aren't there? Uh, This chapter, in its content, is the result of Paul's spiritual understanding that came from Revelation and from his very deep spiritual experience. He ended chapter 7 in desperation, crying out, Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Then he begins chapter 8 by proclaiming that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus that in Christ the law of the spirit of life is setting us free from the law of sin and death. And from that starting point, he goes from one aspect to another related to the crucial, indispensable, and deep experiences that eventually all believers will have. In a very real sense, This chapter will eventually become central to our own life with the Lord. And for us to have the full understanding of this chapter, this is no exaggeration, we would need dozens and dozens of messages, maybe at least 50 messages, to open up all the details to lead us into the depths of all the precious matters and to open the way for our spiritual experience. So this chapter is something we will increasingly treasure as the Lord shepherds us from stage to stage in our journey to full sonship. Thanks, Ron. Let's join Witness Lee for this life study of Romans today. The Holy Spirit groans in you. God the Father answered that groaning to cause all things to work together. All things. All things here means what? All matters. All things. All persons. God the Father is sovereign. 
He knows to arrange everything. How many children you need, he knows. Not one will be short. No, anyone will be over. Just the number you need. He is sovereign. He knows. And he knows what can children you need. Boys, girls, naughty boys. He knows. I see hundred times. He knows. So he causes all things, all matters, all persons work together for your good. Isn't this good? What good? To fulfill his predestination. He set up a destiny for us beforehand. And this destiny could never be fulfilled without <laughs> the divine arrangement. My, the divine arrangement of all things working together for us surely accomplishes the destination God set up for us beforehand. This is our goal. And this destiny is just to be in the image of the first born son. You know, we all are not in the image of the first born son yet. But God the Father is molding, is conforming. He is patterning. He is doing. By what? By all things. After listening to this message, you should all be comforted. Whatever you have, good wife, hard wife, good husband, hard husband, good children, naughty children, whatever you have, you have to be comforted. And you have to say, Lord, I can make, and I made, a lot of mistakes, but you could never be mistaken. And even my being mistaken, sure is under your hand. Everything to us is under his hand. So we all got to be comforted, on the one hand. But on the other hand, don't go too far. Don't be too spiritual. Don't pray for suffering. Rather, you have to pray, Father, deliver me. Oh, deliver me from all kinds of suffering. But eventually, some will come. Regardless how much you pray, still some bad things will come to visit you. When they would come, don't complain. Don't be bothered. Then you say, Father, thank you for this. But still, I would pray, Father, if possible, take this cup away. But still, you have to say, not my will, but your will be done. I tell you, this is the right attitude. Whatever would happen to us, we'll be happy with. Why? Because we know everything is under His hand to conform us into the image of His firstborn son. Ron, in this section, we have the well-known verse of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which says, All things work together for good. Ron, of course we think that we know what good is here for us and what is not so good, but what is the good that God is causing all things to work together for? Well, we respond to that question by considering first the context of Romans 8, then the context of the entire book of Romans, and then to the context 
of the whole Bible in its central revelation concerning God's eternal purpose. When God created man, then he looked upon his creation and upon the human beings created by him, and in his eyes, it was very good. And what made man very good in God's eyes was that this man created by God was in his image to express him and was given dominion to represent him to subdue the earth with his authority. So this utterance in Genesis 1 applies to what we have now in Romans 8. If we read verse 28, according to our natural concept, what happens is this, and I have to be quite honest and straightforward. Most read the verse in a self-centered way. I'm in this situation. I'm struggling here. I'm suffering here. I don't understand what's going on, but all things will work together for good. Then that good is defined by some benefit for us, some positive outcome for us. But we are not the center here. Christ as the Spirit indwelling us is the center. And this Christ causes us to focus on God's purpose Mentioned in verse 28, we were called according to God's purpose. And God's purpose is to have many sons for his expression who become the members of his body as his corporate expression. So the good referred to in verse 28 is defined to a very significant extent in verse 29, and that is being conformed to the image of the firstborn Son of God, that he might have the first place among the many brothers, the many sons. In other words, the good should be defined not by us centered on ourselves in our situation, but defined by God according to his revelation in the scriptures. It was pointed out in a previous broadcast that the Spirit is interceding in us and we are groaning. Well, there's a connection intrinsically between the Spirit's groaning and interceding in verses 26 and 27 and all things working together for good, in verse 28, and are being conformed to the image of the firstborn Son, in verse 29, when God can finally see millions and millions of mature, transformed, and eventually glorified sons of God conformed to the image of the firstborn Son, the resurrected God-man Jesus, surely God will declare, very good. And we know from Ephesians 1, the universe will praise the glory of God. Ron, this is a well-known verse. 
but it's so often given in such a superficial way. I'm grateful to the Lord that we're able to have it opened up in a way that comes so close to God's heart. Let's go back to Witness Lee. At the end of this last verse, verse 30, I would call your attention to this one thing, that in this verse, all the verbs are in past tense. But at least one thing will be accomplished in the future. Let's read. And whom he predestinated, this he called. And whom he called, this he also justified. And whom he justified, this he also glorified. I think you read it wrongly. Because glorify is something in the future. He also will glorify. Well, this is quite logical because glorification is still coming in the future. But here it says he also glorified. What does this mean? A great teacher did say, and we got to read in his writing, he says, in the third heaven there's no clock because our God is God of eternity, an eternal God. He's not a God of time. We have the time matter. With him, there's no time. You know when we got glorified? Do you know? Before the foundation of the world. We got already glorified. Before the foundation of the world. We got predestinated in eternity. We got called. We got justified. We got glorified. Before the foundation of the world. Believe or not, this is up to you. But God does believe. In God's eyes, in God's consideration, in God's concept, I tell you, everything was accomplished. If glorification has not been accomplished, how could our brother John the Apostle see the new Jerusalem? I tell you, the new Jerusalem was there 1900 years ago. All accomplished. Why I have to say this? Because this is the reason after verse 30, you have verse 31. Your predestination was secured. You don't need an insurance company. Your salvation, you are being glorified all was secured, insured. And the insurance company is just eternal God himself. He is the biggest unlimited insurance company. With God, I tell you, everything is eternal. Our predestination is an eternal thing. Our calling is an eternal thing. Our justification is eternal. Our glorification is eternal. Ron? This is always such a help to us to get our view calibrated according to God's view. His view is always eternal. How should this realization of our salvation, even our glorification being eternal, affect our experience of Christ? Well, you're referring to Paul's statement there when he uses the past tense for predestinated, called, justified, and glorified. Well, it's easy for us to grasp the thought 
that we were predestinated, that's in the past, and called through the gospel, that's in our personal past, and justified, that's also something in our previous experience. But our human thought is we will be glorified. And that's not wrong. That's not erroneous. But it's not what Paul is saying. He uses the past tense for glorified. Why does he say that? It's for the same reason that most of the verbs in the book of Revelation are in past tense. In chapter 21, John saw the new Jerusalem. He saw the city descending. An angel said, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he saw the holy city, which is the person, the bride, the wife. The point here is that God is not limited by time. He transcends time. His perspective is eternal. And from his eternal point of view, he views us as not only predestinated, called, and justified, but even already glorified. In his view, this has already happened. Once we realize this is God's view, it strengthens our faith. It encourages us in our pursuit. It reminds us that the ultimate outcome has already been not only determined, but in God's view, consummated. So we know without any doubt, because God says, past tense, glorified, we will in our actual experience be glorified. And we have learned from other portions in Romans 8 that this will be the full sonship. When we were regenerated, the process of becoming sons began in our spirit. As we are sanctified and renewed in the process of transformation, we are becoming sons now in our soul. But still our body needs to be redeemed, brought out of the old creation. As Paul mentions in Philippians 3, we will have a body like Christ's glorious resurrection body. That will be our glorification. That will be the climax, the culmination of our sonship. That will be the full sonship. That will be the moment of our glorification. We will experience this. We are assured of it because God said in his eyes, it has already happened. We have been glorified. God has glorified us in Christ. It is finished. It is done. Thank the Lord. Let's go back to Witness Lee for the conclusion of our life study. Now, Paul was really deep and smart. As I have pointed out to you, he composed his writing with the three attributes of God. Righteousness, holiness, and glory. And eventually, this smart writer came into the heart of God. 
in the heart of God is just love. Love was the fountain. Love was the root. Love was the source. He loved us before he predestinated us. He loved us before he called us. He loved us before he justified us. He loved us before he glorified us. He loved us. He loved us before everything. God's love in God's heart was the start. So what? So after the full accomplishment of God's full salvation, God's love is still the security. Among the Christians, people do like to talk about eternal security. That's 100% right. And the eternal security is just the love of God. Then she says, if God is for us, <laughs> if God is for us, who can be against us? Now you should understand this word much, much deeper. God is for us in what way? From eternity, his heart loved us. Loved us. He just loved us. So his love is the security. And nothing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is, listen, in Jesus Christ. Oh, this little phrase, uh, in Jesus Christ, is not a small thing. Because if there is only the love of God without Jesus Christ, without Jesus Christ, there would be some problem. You see the point? Without Jesus Christ, uh-huh, even the little sin, S-N, would be able to separate us from the love of God. But now the love of God is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Amen. When the love of God gets into Jesus Christ, I tell you, everything is insured. Now you can understand in the first Corinthians chapter 13 verse 14 that says, the grace of Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you. The love of God is the source so the Apostle Paul has brought us all through the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, and the glory of God into the heart of God of love. Now, here we are. Hallelujah. Amen. And eventually, this is our eternal policy of insurance. Yes, I do have some insurance. And my insurance policy is in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Amen. This is my insurance policy. And my insurance company is the eternal God. And my insurance term is God's eternal love in Jesus Christ. Ron, this was a marvelous section to conclude the message, wasn't it? Yes, it surely is full of assurance and has a strengthening effect on our faith. We have the realization nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, from the heart of God, from the eternal purpose of God, no matter what happens. His love prevails, and his will will be accomplished to his glory. Thank you, Ron. The love of God is quite understandably a favorite topic of all Christians, but 
There was a point here that bears our further consideration. Why is it significant that the eternal love of God is in Jesus Christ? This is an important point. Of course, God in himself is love. God's heart is love. It's a heart of love. Love is the inner substance of God's being. But from our point of view, we're fallen, sinful human beings in desperate, dire need of a Redeemer and a Savior. And this is not simply a once-for-all matter on the day we believed into the Lord. It's a constant need among us. If the love of God were not in Christ, then what would happen when we have a failure, when we sin? Then God cannot coexist with that. He would have to, in some sense, withdraw. But because the love of God is in Christ, and Christ is our Redeemer and our Savior, then he applies to us the reality and practicality of his redemption and salvation. And so we're never separated from the love of God because the love of God is in Christ Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord. To state it simply, although it's not simplistic, whenever we contact our Lord, by calling on him, singing to him, praying to him, we are contacting the person, this wonderful one, in whom the love of God resides. And if we need to be recovered and forgiven, our Savior is here to serve us, and then we're brought again into the love that is embodied and expressed in him, so the love of God is in Christ Jesus, and nothing will ever separate us from this love. Wow, Ron, this is wonderful, and this is a very sweet place to end this life study today. I think Romans 8 is bottomless in all that it holds for us as believers. Thank you for your participation today. Thank you for the privilege of sharing this. Call our toll-free number. 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Or you can write to us at Living Stream Ministry, P.O. Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or send us email to radio at lsm.org. More wonderful life studies from the Book of Romans await us. We hope that you'll join us again. For Ron Kangas, I'm Matt Miller. Thank you very much for listening today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. If you have any questions or would like to find other Christians in your area who also enjoy this ministry, feel free to call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. Or you can email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.